The New York Times, a former newspaper, has set off a bombshell with a new report of completely unsubstantiated rumors of yet another absurd sexual allegation against Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. The report of the factually empty gossip was such a bombshell that it blew several times reporters out of the newsroom and into a vast darkness of journalistic malfeasance where they floated desolate in a soul-destroying moral vacuum along with most of the Times' editorial staff. According to the allegations, someone said, someone said something about something else someone might have said about Justice Kavanaugh. No, wait, sorry, that's a James Taylor song. No, wait, that's actually also the New York Times piece, although the Times did not supply the lilting melody or soulful blues-slash-country vocal stylings of Mr. Taylor at his extraordinary artistic peak. The Times story alleges, and I'm not making this up, that some guy saw Kavanaugh's friends push Kavanaugh's penis into the hand of a woman at a party at Yale. The penis was later returned to Mr. Kavanaugh by his friends, who said they'd only borrowed it as a prank. The allegation was alleged in an alleged book by some alleged reporters for the Times, an alleged newspaper. But in the book, the woman in question says she has no memory of the incident, a fact that was left out of the original Times story, which is both an astounding act of corrupt journalistic malpractice and standard operating procedure at the Times. Democrats immediately reacted to the fact-free third-hand rumors by demanding Kavanaugh's impeachment in a statement by a female make-believe Indian presidential candidate who asked to remain anonymous while she was degrading herself by spreading baseless calumnies. Quote, this unfounded slur is just one more unfounded slur to add to the pile of unfounded slurs which magically become founded once you pile them up high enough, unquote. Mobs of hysterical leftist females immediately gathered outside the Supreme Court, shrieking, believe all women, while simultaneously making that utterly impossible. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray, oh, hooray, hurrah. You know, I often tell a story about a young couple who lived across a New York City street from me when I was young myself, and they put their bed by the window, and they left the window opened, and often, at all times of the day, I could see them making love to one another with enormous vigor and creativity. It was shockingly raw stuff and difficult not to watch. One day, I remarked upon it to the live-in girlfriend who would one day become my wife. I said, look at this. This is downright pornographic. And she said, why? What's pornographic about it? We do all the same things they do, which was, to me, a revelation. The revelation was this. The inner life makes everything worthwhile. What to the eye is pornography may be true love to the soul. We humans live a deeply material life, but we live it at a spiritual level whether we want to or not. This is one of the most confusing and confounding aspects of human existence. Our animal selves provide us with everything that is base about ourselves, our bodily functions, our raw desires, disease, and death, but they're also at the core of our nobility. What is there in human life more beautiful or poignant than the sight of a mother with her newborn child? It's an incredibly human thing, and yet it's not a human thing at all. The same phenomenon happens at every level of mammalian life. What makes it so amazing for us is our God-given and godlike consciousness of its depth and meaning. Many people throughout history have sought to remove the animal from humanity and leave only the mental or spiritual behind. Religious celibates who seek to leave desire behind. Philosophers who elevate thought over every other activity. Or scientists who seek to hand over central bodily functions like birth to machinery, 
to leave us quote-unquote free to pursue our quote-unquote higher callings. I've always wondered, though, what is the good of improving the life of man if he's no longer man when you're done with him? Clearly, the higher, wiser, more vital, most human answer is to immerse oneself in animal life in a completely spiritual way. Some hedonists believe, hedonists believe that this means experiencing physical pleasure to its depths, but every time they've tried this, it seems to result in disaster, the abuse of the weak by the powerful. I suspect Aristotelian Christianity comes closer to the truth when it advises us to apply the moral sense that holds us to the virtue between extremes and looks to God to supply meaning, depth, and joy to both the pleasures we have and the restraint we need to make those pleasures moral. That path is both straight and narrow, but one thing seems clear, especially right now in this present moment. If you step off the border of the straight and narrow path, sheer madness lies beyond, and we'll see why in just a second. But first, let us talk about Lightstream. And you know Lightstream, you know why I love Lightstream is because I, like you, like everybody, uses credit cards without thinking about them. I use credit cards without thinking, oh, it's actually money. Then at the end of the month, this funny thing happens where a bill turns up, and if you don't pay that bill, you can get absolutely nailed. You can get nailed by card credit card interest rate of over 19% APR. And if you know how uh, those APRs work, they are not very nice. Uh, that means you could save thousands of dollars in interest if you get a loan from Lightstream. You can get a credit card consolidation loan at Lightstream with a rate as low as 5.95% APR with auto pay. You can get a loan from $5,000 to $100,000 Absolutely no fees, no application fees, no origination fees, no fees at all. And you can even get your money as soon as the day you apply. Just for my listeners, apply now to get a special interest rate discount. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash Andrew, L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash Andrew. Subject to credit approval, rate includes 0.50% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash Andrew for more information. I always wish I had, every time I read that, I wish I had one of those fast readers uh, who would take me uh, through that, but I, but I don't, so I just stumble through it on my own. Uh, I'm still in New York waiting to do the roast for Ben Shapiro, which follows hard on uh, the roast. Who was roasted last night? Somebody, Alec Baldwin was roasted last night. Uh, it's a little harder to roast Ben because he's an actually decent human being, but we'll do our best and I'll be as nasty as I possibly can. Let's, uh, let's start this story with this time story, which is an amazing piece of self-destruction by the New York Times. It's in keeping with what they're doing now. Everything is get Trump. Everything is destroy conservatives. Everything is lump conservatives with Trump and just page after page about how Trump is evil, what a terrible thing he's done to us, how we'll never recover, never mind the economy, it doesn't matter, never mind the fact that we're not at war, never mind the fact that everything is actually going pretty well. At the New York Times, Donald Trump is the devil, and they cannot stop attacking him. And part of him is, of course, the appointment of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court with you know, not wishing anything bad on uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but very possibly another uh, Supreme Court pick coming up. So they're getting all the more hysterical about it. So there, a book is going to come out. I think it's coming out tomorrow. Uh, it's called something like The Education Against Brett Kavanaugh. And, so they, and it's written by two New York Times reporters. And so they run this thing, uh, a, a new story, and you all remember how they tried to get him with Christine Blasey Ford, and he'd done this horrible thing when he was 18 or 17 or 16 years old, whatever it was. And now they say they've got a shocking new sexual allegation that when he was at Yale, this is in the 80s, he was at a party 
And I guess the idea is he was naked and some of his pals shoved him into a girl so that his penis touched her hand. And, uh, you know, this is written by Robin Pogrebin and Kate Kelly, and we'll get back to them in a minute. But the source uh, is a guy. Well, look, Molly Hemingway and Carrie Severino wrote this wonderful, wonderful book called Justice on Trial. I read it. It's, it's, I recommend it highly. It is deeply, deeply researched all about this attack on Brett Kavanaugh and where it came from and the strategies they were using, all, all this stuff. And so here's Molly talking about the way the Times reported this allegation. So there is this book coming out on Tuesday. It's written by two reporters who were actually kind of involved in anti-Kavanaugh uh, efforts is probably the best way to put it. They were reporting on it for the New York Times. They were pulled off of their beats to help because they both had backgrounds, privileged backgrounds, where they had intersected with people who were in the story. And Robin Pogerbin went to Yale with Kavanaugh. She actually roomed with one of the central figures who coordinated anti-Kavanaugh efforts. Uh, she lightly discloses that in her book. And now they're out with a book. And Carrie and I have been reading it. I just finished it. And they also have an essay where they claim that there was another allegation um, left out of the essay is that there that the claim that was made is actually denied by the alleged victim. They put that in their book, but they didn't put that in their essay, which is causing some people to question their journalistic ethics. So this is, this is amazing stuff. They did put an editorial note after 24 hours of enduring the wrath of human uh, all, of all humankind. They put in an editorial note mentioning that the woman that the woman who is supposed to be at the center of this doesn't remember this. So she doesn't say it happened. She's not you know like she's not denying it. She says she, she, she doesn't remember something like that ever happened, which is pretty amazing. Not to leave that. I mean that is an amazing piece. And you have to remember the big thing, the big take on this is why didn't the FBI research this? But you have to go back and remember that the whole thing was about delaying the Kavanaugh uh, acceptance, was uh, delaying putting him on the court so that hopefully something magical would happen. They would find that Trump was actually uh, Vladimir Putin in disguise. You know, they would actually get to an election and vote him out of office, something, anything to delay. So they kept pouring things on, kept asking more and more things, kept moving the goalposts. And finally, the Republicans agreed to let the FBI investigate the two most believable uh, allegations, the Blasey Ford allegation and one other allegation. They investigated those, found no proof that they had taken place. And this came in, and it's, it's obvious nonsense. Now here's Carrie Severino, the other author of the book, Justice on Trial, talking about, and this is amazing, talking about the chain, how this piece of intelligence, how this story actually becomes a story, how the sources pass it along. What's so funny about this allegation is the incredibly, um, you know, attenuated nature of it. So what they really have is two Senate staffers who say that Steyer told them that he heard from a woman that at a party um, that when, where everyone was maybe drunk, Kavanaugh's friends pushed him and his genitalia uh, into her. Now, what's crazy is that this, the story itself is, I mean, if you even followed that, that's impressive. It's so many links in the chain. And they, the part that they leave out is that this woman apparently has told her friends that she doesn't even remember it. And Steyer himself and the woman are not speaking to Pogrebin and Kelly. So this is a, you know, it's not even like third hand, fourth hand count of a, in a, an incident that even if it happened as it is described, sounds like it was Kavanaugh's friends who were the wrongdoers here. So it's a, it is a very um, bizarre thing to try to hang your hat on as a new allegation. 
On top of which, they did Steyer, who they refer to as this kind of just a well-respected, you know, guy. He runs a um, he runs a nonprofit, and they say, oh, he's a well-respected. Not he was also a on Bill Clinton's legal team, where they were defending him against charges of sexual malfeasance with Monica Lewinsky. Steyer is on that legal team, and on the other team against him. Brett Kavanaugh. Never mind that. So they've got these two reporters, one of whom was involved with trying to take down Kavanaugh. They've got a source who isn't talking to them, who says that uh, who was on the Bill Clinton team against uh, Brett Kavanaugh. Plus, it wasn't even from the source. It was two people, two aides telling them that the source said that this happened at a party to a woman who doesn't remember it. I mean, this is not, this is not, not, you know, there's something you scroll on a bathroom wall. This is not a news story that should make it into some place supposedly as, uh, as terrific a, a, a journalistic venue as the New York Times. Let us pause just a minute because then I got to get to the funny part. I mean, this is already kind of hilarious, but I'll get to the funny part in just a minute. But let us Talk about Ring. Ring is there to help keep you safe, and it really does. It really does give you peace of mind because you can talk to anyone who comes to your door. You can see him on a camera, look at your phone, see him, talk to him, find out why he's there, what he's doing there, and and check out what's going on at your house. Ring's mission is to make neighborhoods safer and starting with your home. And with the season changing and school in session, it's even more important to keep an eye on your home and the people that you love. Ring helps you stay connected anywhere in the world. If there's a package, a surprise visitor, you'll get an alert, be able to see, hear, and speak to them all from your phone. And you can even make sure your children make it to the bus on time and get home safe at the end of the day. That's a lot of security. It's the kind of thing you want to have in your pocket. And as a listener, you have a special offer on a Ring starter kit available right now with a Ring video doorbell uh, and and motion-activated floodlight cam, right? That's somebody steps on your property, the floodlight goes on, and you can see who it is right there, and it'll probably make them run away anyway. The starter kit has everything you need to start building a ring of security around your home. Just go to ring.com slash Clavin. That's ring.com slash Clavin for a special offer. Additional terms may apply. Like, for instance, they may want you to know how to spell Clavin. It's K-L-A- V-A-N. So that's the story we're dealing with, all right? It is this complete work of nonsense. And of course, the left goes crazy. Liz Warren says, she tweets out, last year, the Kavanaugh nomination was rammed through the Senate without a thorough examination of the allegations against him. I mean, that's utter garbage. Confirmation is not exoneration. And these newest revelations are disturbing, like the man who appointed him, Kavanaugh, should be impeached. Kamala Harris, I sat through those hearings. Brett Kavanaugh lied to the U.S. Senate and most importantly to the American people. He was put on the court through a sham process and his place on the court is an insult to the pursuit of truth and justice. And here's uh, Julian Castro. What's happening right now with Donald Trump and what he's doing in the presidency and what happened with this Kavanaugh process is that uh, they're completely undermining our democratic process and uh, the necessity to go by what is truthful and honest, especially when you're talking about somebody sitting on the highest court in the land that is supposed to be the ultimate arbiter of what is right and just. And you, what you became t- clear... Oh, uh, no, yeah, I was going to say, what's become clear is that, that he should be impeached. The House absolutely has the ability to impeach him. The question would be what the Senate would do. And, uh, you know, I want to know at this point 
why why did the FBI not follow up on all of these leads that they have? They didn't lift a finger to investigate it. Um, and if they brought, if they did bring some of that information to the attention of some of those Republican senators, why didn't those senators say anything? This is it is utterly ridiculous. I mean, would you would anybody investigate this? I mean, you can anybody can say anything about anybody. And we know the left does this. They did it to Clarence Thomas. And they continue to insist and make movies about the fact that this was true. When even even if everything Anita Hill had said about Clarence Thomas was true, it would have amounted to nothing. A little bit of irritation, a little bit of uh, course, a few coarse remarks. It would have amounted to nothing. Clarence Thomas. There was never an allegation that Clarence Thomas hurt Anita Hill's career. She followed him around. She followed him from place to place because he was helping her career and grooming her. And the, the idea that he did any of those things is completely unsubstantiated. But even if it weren't, even if it weren't, and I feel that personally, I feel that way about Brett Kavanaugh and uh, Blasey Ford too, by the way. I mean, this is, I know an unpopular opinion, but I feel if he did something jerky in high school, uh, even if he acted up and acted wild in college, no. Do I feel that that makes, disqualifies him to be a great judge on the Supreme Court? No, I don't. And I mean, you know, I have, I, listen, I have dual feelings about the Me Too movement in, in general. Uh, you know, I want ladies to be treated like ladies. I want gentlemen to be gentlemen. I, that's a very important thing to me, a very important value to me. But as I'm going to talk about in just a minute, once the logic of that falls apart, you can't blame people for behaving uh, the way people behaved at a certain period and then going back into time and saying, well, now we're going to prosecute you for things because our, our mores, our morals have changed. That's absurd. On top of which, the whole thing about Christine uh, Blasey Ford is that like her, her allegations were not that believable. They were not believable at all. It was like somewhere in the past, I don't know where, something happened. And even other women, you know, obviously left-wing women ra- uh, went out immediately with this incredibly stupid logic of I was uh, attacked, so I believe her, which makes no sense whatsoever. But other women said, I remember every detail of what happened to me when I was attacked, and she doesn't remember anything, and she didn't. Plus, on top of this, this is new also from The Federalist, where Molly Hemingway and Carrie Severino work. Within days of Kavanaugh's confirmation to the Supreme Court, uh, Brett Kavanaugh's father was approached by Christine Ford's father at a golf club where they were both members. Ralph Blasey, Ford's father, went out of his way to offer Ed Kavanaugh his support of Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation to the Supreme Court. So there's Christine Blasey Ford's father saying <coughs> he was glad. He said, I'm glad Brett was confirmed. And the, the encounter immediately caused a stir at the close-knit private golf club as staff and members shared the news. So I don't know if this was my daughter. That's not what I would have been doing if I believed her. And it made, makes me feel... It certainly suggests that the father had doubts about the allegations and thinks that she may have been making some of this up. So I I have to report, reporting the reaction of the Democrats, I have to report the reaction of the media, which, of course, is the same thing. But it was interesting on on Morning Joe, Joe Scarborough had on a, I I don't know what his name was, he was kind of a media commentator. Uh, And Joe Scarborough, like, treated it like it was kind of, his his pal, the New York Times, had had gone astray. They'd gone astray, as opposed to the fact that they do this now every single day. I mean, this happens to be a particularly egregious example of it, but their newspaper reporting is now simply an attack on Trump. It's virtually hate speech against all conservatives. It is not trying to get the news objectively. It's not trying to tell all the news that's fit, that's fit to print. And Joe is sad. And I could not believe the New York Times would write this piece without that information contained in it 
I, are you surprised? Uh, 24 hours? Was it 24 hours went by before they clarified that fact? And let me just ask also, our producers just put in there that this Max Steyer may be respected, but was it not relevant to note that he was opposing counsel on the other side of Brett Kavanaugh and the Monica Lewinsky uh, legal proceedings. I, I, I'm, I just I don't understand why they didn't put this information in the article. Did that strike you as strange? Yeah, that's certainly good context uh, being provided here about Steyer. And Joe, you're right. We were talking about this yesterday, and and we're puzzled and it re remains so that if, if the woman involved is saying that she doesn't remember, uh, that raises some questions about the piece. Certainly, I'm not. You know, we're not going to. The New York Times has made their own editorial judgments about what should be included, uh, but. Uh, it, but just taking a step back beyond this one article, it also just want to re underscores what a flashpoint the Kavanaugh hearings were and remain and will be going forward. <laughs> so, like, yeah, but listen, yeah, it's kind of strange that they did. I don't know. I can't imagine why the New York Times would do such a thing. I can't imagine how they could have made such a mistake. Maybe it was the drugs. Maybe, you know, they, they took something for a cold and it got in their head. Their heads got stuffy. You know, it must be something. Like, it must be. There's got to be a reasonable explanation why the Times would unleash a rabid attack on a Supreme Court justice they don't like without checking the facts. I mean, what really? There's got to be some other reason. And then the commentator, I love love the way he goes like, it just points out what a flashpoint this is. It points out that these guys are scummy liars. That's what it points out. Just say it. You know, they lie to get what they want. They lie to get power. They lie to get to keep control of the Supreme Court for scurrilous reasons in the first place, because they've transformed the court into an agent of change. They've transformed the court from people who kind of call balls and strikes. The umpires are out there saying, yep, that's constitutional. No, that's not what the founders meant. You don't like it, change the Constitution. They've changed it from that to, yes, we interpret this to mean whatever we want it to mean. It's Thursday. Nowadays, our standards are such and such. It doesn't matter what Ben Franklin uh, thought. It doesn't matter what Thomas Jefferson thought. It matters what we feel in our hearts is right. I mean, Anthony Kennedy, who, who was a good judge a lot of the times, but he, he drove me crazy crazy with this stuff like, well, you know, we feel the dignity of gay people and therefore the Constitution must mean them to have the absolute right uh, to be married. In absurd. That is what the left turned the court into. It wasn't supposed to be that. It's not supposed to be that now. And so that's why they fight so desperately for it. But let's get a little bit of a more measured a more <laughs> measured reaction from MSNBC, where the calm grown-up goes. These, this is a guy named Jason Johnson, who, Lord love him, is a journalism professor. There's the mysterious debt. We don't know where that went. We have no idea where that went. Right. I don't know anybody who spends that much money on national tickets, right? That didn't make any sense to me. Then you have the thousands of legal documents, right? right? Things that he wrote in the Bush administration that Republicans wouldn't turn forward. Then you have a history of sexual assault. I said last year, Joy, I've never heard of a guy who's a one-time rapist. I've never heard of a guy who's a one-time sexual assaulter. I grew up with guys like this. He's from around this area, right? He's the fifth guy in a gang rape, okay? He's the guy who comes in after he's drunk because everybody else encourages him. He can get away with it. And he's been pretty much covered his entire life. And now he's on the Supreme Court where he can move that same despicable misogynistic attitude that he's gotten away with his entirely cowardly life to the greatest misogynist of all, which is the President of the United States. That's <laughs> your journalism professor. <laughs> What's it? It's something like Morgan University. I can't remember the name of the university. That's a journalism professor. You know, <laughs> he's the, yeah, we can tell. We, I can tell. I grew up with guys like this. He's the fifth guy in a gang rape. Uh, and, you know, that, that somehow is worth saying on, on TV. Unbelievable. It is unbelievable stuff, the hatred. But, but, you know, the thing that gets me about it is, of course, 
there is the Clinton hypocrisy, that Clinton, who was very credibly accused of rape, who was obviously a, a serial uh, cheater, a serial adulterer, obviously a deep-dyed liar. I mean, looked in the camera and said, I did not have sex with that woman, you know, and when he obviously had. I mean, this is a guy who lied. He perjured himself. Uh, he was accused of rape. Nothing from the left. D- just defense. Okay, typical politics that suddenly when they think they've got something that they can get th- th- their opponents with, uh, they're going to use it to the hilt. Okay, I'll take that as, as typical politics. But it also brings out the fact that the culture the culture that could have created a party where a guy was standing around naked is not conservative culture. It's the left's culture. The left did this every step of the way. It's the left who told women that they were the same as men, that they should enjoy sex the same as men, that it's victim blaming. If a woman gets uh, drunk out of her mind at a party with men and then wakes up with a stranger inside her, that's, you know, that's just, it's victim blaming to point out that it was unwise for her to get drunk. Not that, that that absolves the guy, it doesn't, but it's still that it's unwise to get drunk in the same way it's unwise to walk down a dark alley at three o'clock in the morning, even though it's the mugger's fault when he attacks. You know, it's the left that created this culture entirely, and it's the left that still seeks to erase the differences between men and women and makes it absurd to have rules about sex, right? I mean, if, if men would have different rules about sex, if women had the same rules as men, that, that's exactly what's happening at a drunken party uh, where everybody is running around and, you know, with clothes half off and is drunk out of their mind. That's that's women acting like men, right? And this is basically what the... Uh, what the left has been selling. Women are the same as men, except when men are women, then women are so different, you have to cut off your dingus to be one of them, but then suddenly you're a woman. I mean, it's, it's madness. It's madness. And if you don't start with the animal facts of life, then you, deal, then you can deal with the problems that come up. If you start with the animal facts of life, you deal with the problems that come up. There are two kinds of people, men and women. They're very different. Their physical bodies, their brains, everything about them is different. They are built for different things. Why? Because nature doesn't care that you want to be a ski instructor. It just cares that you reproduce. It doesn't care if you want to paint the Sistine Chapel. It just cares that you make more people. And so it has created us for that fact. And so surely, surely, the you know, instead of eliminating that and trying, instead of trying to erase it, what you do is you deal with it in a moral way. That is how you humanize your animality. That is how you humanize the physical facts of your life. And that's what human life is about. That is what human life is about. It's not about eliminating the physical facts of your life. It's not about only being a brain. It's not about living celibate unless you have some specific reason to live celibate. It's not about any of those things. And it's not about like turning over to robots and uh, machines to do the things that human do. humans do. It's about living the life of an animal human in a spiritual way. And if once you stop doing that, the only other choice is the kind of madness we're seeing now. It is. It's like a sexual disease. It's like a sexual pathology where everything having to do with sex is screwed up. Everything having to do with sex is madness. Why? Because we've lost the basics, the basic idea. You know, uh, well, let me stop for just a second and talk about Vistaprint. You know, I finally did get my cards. I don't have them with me at the at this moment because we're in a 
kind of offbeat studio, but they sent me these beautiful business cards. I could design them online, made them the way I, just the way I wanted. I could see them front and back, and they came exactly the way I wanted. And for just 10 bucks, Vistaprint gives you 500 personalized cards with exactly the look you want, and they're there so that you can, as Vistaprint likes to say, they like to say you can own the now, by which they mean when an opportunity comes up, you do not want to be without a card to tell people how to contact you so they remember you. And you want it to be a card that they'll look at and be impressed with and remember Vistaprint will supply that. Vistaprint wants you to be able to own the now in any situation, which why our li- which is why our listeners will get free shipping on all business cards, any style, any quantity. Just go to vistaprint.com and enter promo code CLAVEN2 for free shipping on all business cards, any style, any quantity, limited time offer, own the now at vistaprint.com, promo code CLAVEN2. That is promo code CLAVEN followed by the number two. You support our show when you support our sponsors, and I know you're asking, how do you spell two? You don't need to spell two. It's just the number two. But first, ha, 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 you have to spell Claven, which is K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no E's in Claven. I just make it look that easy. So, you know, once, once people's relationship to their bodies goes insane, once they lose, I mean, because that's everything about being human is your relationship to your body. Once your relationship to your body goes goes off the rails, everything goes off the rails. And that is why we're starting to see stuff coming up that just speaks into the madness of the moment we're in. There's a guy who was a, 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 Ulrich Klopfer, his name was. He died September 3rd, and he was an abortionist uh, in Indiana. He lived, but he had a place in Illinois. And they went to his house, and and they found 2,000 medically preserved fetal remains found on his property. That's like the Gosnell case. He was keeping souvenirs, he, and he preserving them, right? These are medically preserved fetus, fetal remains that he was keeping on his property. Uh, he performed abortions in Indiana with women's health clinics. Uh, he lost his license. The state suspended his license in 2015 after two people accused him of performing abortions on 13-year-old girls without properly submitting records to the state's health department. Uh, so, you know, But think about it for a minute. Like, you're kind of shocked when you hear that. When I first heard it, I thought, wow, that's really shocking and ugly. But why is it shocking? You know, a doctor, a guy who is a medically trained doctor, can do pretty much what he wants, right? That's a job that's in demand, and people can do it, and people can choose the kind of doctoring they want to do. If you choose to be an abortionist, you do it because you like it. I mean, you could make the argument that you think it's an important uh, thing that has to be required, but there are lots of important things. You know, treating cancer is important. Treating all kinds of diseases is important. Why do you choose abortion? Because somehow you like it. You like doing that. Who likes doing that? You know, I mean, it's like it's it's a kind of (laughs) it's a kind of sickness. Right. And I think that it's just there's even a story out. I mean, I hesitate to tell the story. It's so horrific. Um, there was a Missouri tried to put a ban on abortions uh, at or after eight weeks of pregnancy, right? Uh, but a federal judge has temporarily blocked that from being implemented because he says he thinks it's unconstitutional and he says it's going to take a while to work out. And and similar laws have been struck down in North Dakota and Iowa. However, the judge allowed one portion of the policy to take effect: a ban on abortions based solely on race, sex or a diagnosis indicating the potential for Down syndrome. In other words, if you find out it's a girl and you want a boy, you're not allowed to have an abortion. How they can tell that's your reason, I don't know. Planned Parenthood vowed to fight to block that portion of the law, too. 
a Planned Parenthood uh, chief medical officer for Planned Parenthood of the St. Louis region, Colleen McNicholas, said, although we're grateful today's ruling allows us to provide care to some Missourians, we will continue to defend the truth. Every reason to have an abortion is a valid reason. So there's a new, uh, this is from Life News. There's a new report uh, that people were kind of monitoring Reddit, uh, you know, a, a social media place, social media site, and people are talking about a fetish for getting pregnant and having abortions. It's a fetish for, uh, a sexual fetish. It, my girlfriend enjoys her pregnancy. This is a quote from Reddit. My, joy friend, my girlfriend enjoys her pregnancies and she enjoy, enjoys the abortion. Her preferred date to abort is between 20 and 24 weeks of gestation. Uh, another person wrote that this girl is with a male partner who is just like her into breeding and they have been practicing their fetish for quite a few abortions. And you read that and you think like, oh my God, this is, people have a sexual fetish for killing their fetuses, but why not? Why not? Everybody enjoys something. Some people enjoy serial killing. Some people just enjoy serial. What's the difference? What's the difference? Once you lose the idea of human life as a spiritual enterprise based in material fact, once you lose the idea of human life as a spiritual enterprise located in material fact, you have lost everything and you've gone mad. You've gone insane. And so this is a, a, a country, a society that has gone insane in many ways. And one of the things we have to remember is that a, a community, a society, a country, a nation, a world can go mad and be perfectly happy while it commits 50 million abortions a year. And you can do it. We've done it. I got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Come on over to dailywire.com and subscribe. And then you can be in the mailbag. You can get the leftist tears tumbler. It's 10 bucks a month, 100 bucks for the year. And the most important thing is we get your money. So come on over to dailywire.com. You know, we're talking really, what we're really talking about to some degree is teleology, the idea that things have a purpose. And when you work into that purpose, uh, you get you get it right. And listen, you know, I the Catholic Church works on teleology when it comes to sex, and they say sex is for having babies, is for procreating, therefore you shouldn't use any birth control, and therefore gay uh, relationships are always wrong. I have a, a different view of teleology. I believe that sometimes if you're a person who can't reproduce, if you're a person who uh, can only love a, a person of the own, your own sex, I believe that teleology, according to Aristotle, permits you uh, to do something to use something for a, a good purpose uh, that is outside the immediate purpose. So uh, the example I always give is if I carry my computer and someone tries to mug me and I hit him over the head with my computer, that's not what the computer is for, but that's a perfectly valid telos for the computer. Uh, so there are many different ways to do this, but you have to do it. You have to do it at some level because you can't know what a thing is good if a thing is good if you don't know what you're supposed to do with it. You can't know if your life is good if you don't know what it's for. You can't know if your body is good if you don't know what it's for. All everything, you know, uh, C.S. Lewis said, even a corkscrew. You can't know if it's a good corkscrew until you know what it's for. And so this is the teleological way to look at it. And this is why, you know. The idea that you humanize things by using the moral sense has been abandoned by the left because it's so hard, it's so difficult to do, and it restricts you, and it means you can't do everything. The one that always bothers me more than anything is race. 
the left, as far as I'm concerned, is now operating at the level of a toothless Klansman. You know, one of those dumb guys in a seedy pool hall uh, who talks about race and everything is race and all the, yeah, the, the blacks and it all is all about the blacks and it's all about. I mean, they're just doing it with the whites and they think that makes them better. To me, it makes them exactly the same. I, in my imagination, the t- New York Times, all the left is just a toothless guy who meets in the at night with a mask on or a, a sheet on his head uh, talking about race. Because thinking about human beings as entirely as what their race is really even a little about what their race is. It's degrading. It's degrading to you. It's degrading to you. And you know what? Like, I, I don't do it. I don't do it. And when I say that, I don't mean, oh, I'm, I'm like pristine. I have not a racist bone in my body. I don't mean that at all. I don't mean that at all. I, it's it's in, the, in the same way I lust after women, but I don't go after them because I'm true to my wife. I have all kinds of crazy thoughts. <laughs> I have all kinds of thoughts that I don't want. I don't act on them. I, I set them aside. I live according to my lights not according to my flesh. I don't live according to the dictates of my body. I live according to my moral lights because that is, is to me, what makes me a human being. So now, as the, the fallout from the last debate has been really fascinating, the last Democrat debate, they're all going after Joe Biden. They sense he's weak. They sense he can't win. He's too goofy at this point. He can't remember anything. He can't make a sentence. He can't make an English sentence. And so now they're going after him in terms of race, okay? Uh, do we, have, do we have Knucklehead Row set up? Because I think we should start uh, talking about this at Knucklehead Row, the op-ed uh, page of the New York Times. Oh, hey, hey, oh, hey, oh. So Charles Blow, the most aptly named writer on Knucklehead Row and one of the chief knuckleheads uh, because he blows, uh, he wrote a piece, Joe Biden is Problematic. And he talks about the moment in the debate, which I noticed, too, because I had a totally different uh, reaction to it. The moderator asked him, the, asked him a question. She quoted something he had said in 1975 and when he was asked how to deal with segregation in schools. And he said, I don't feel responsible, Biden said back in 75, I don't feel responsible for the sins of my father and grandfather. I feel responsible for what the situation is today, for the sins of my own generation. And I'll be damned if I feel responsible to pay for what happened 300 years ago. And the questioner said, you said that some 40 years ago, but as you stand here tonight, what responsibility do you think that Americans need to take to repair the legacy of slavery in our country? And I immediately thought, just say no. Joe, say none, none, because none of the people who held slaves is here. None of the people who were slaves is here. We have to deal with the moment. He, what he said before was true. But instead, he made that stupid comment about teaching people to use the radio and the record player. Remember, it made him sound like he was 150 years old instead of only 125 years old. Uh, and he said, you know, we've got to learn, teach, teach black parents basically to go home and teach their children things. So Charles Blow says his language belies a particular mindset, one of a liberal of a particular vintage. In other words, he's too old. On the issue of race, it is paternalistic and it pities. It sees deficiency in much the same way that the conservative does. I don't know who he's talking about there, but I guess it's the conservative of Charles Blow's imagination. He says it responds as savior 
rather than with savagery. That's what we need in this country. We need more savagery. The thing we are missing in this country is savagery. So he takes after him, and it's just—it's funny that he blames this on age because I think he was telling Joe was telling the truth back then, uh, and is lying now. He's lying now, and he says so Biden is trying to make it up. And he's trying to relate to black people, which is always hilarious. And he—he's at a pool, and he talks about a, a, an inner city pool, and he talks about how he was a lifeguard at this pool, and he fa- faced down the evil gang member. Corn Pop, the evil Corn Pop. And here is Joe telling that story about his life. And Corn Pop was a bad dude. And he ran a bunch of bad boys. And I did. And back in those days, to show how things have changed, one of the things you had to use, if you used pomade in your hair, you had to wear a bathing cap. And so he was up on the board, wouldn't listen to me. I said, hey, Esther, you, off the board, or I'll come up and drag you off. Well, he came off. And he said, I'll meet you outside. My car, this was mostly, these were all public housing behind it. My car, there was a gate out here. I parked my car outside the gate. And I, he said, I'll be waiting for you. He was waiting for three guys in straight razors. Not a joke. There was a guy named Bill Wright, Mouse, the only white guy, and he did all the pools. He was the mechanic. And I said, what am I going to do? He said, come down here in the basement where mechanics, where, where, where all the pool f- f- filter is. You know, the chain, there used to be a chain that went across the deep end. And he cut off a six-foot length of chain. He folded up. He said, you walk out with that chain. And you walk to the car and say, you may cut me, man, but I'm going to wrap this chain around your head. <laughs> That's Joe. He gets fired. The guy, the guy is, I hate to see him lose because he's going to leave all the humor uh, out of the Democrat line. But that, he went out, so he went out to Corn Pop the evil corn pop, and he apologized. Uh, He didn't apologize for telling him to get off the board. He said he apologized for calling him Esther Williams, who was a famous swimmer in in the movies, Uh, and that was the end of the fight. So there's Joe relating to black people. He's going to need to do it. He is the most popular Democrat among black people because they consider him an ally, black voters, because they consider him an ally because he was with Barack Obama, and obviously he and Obama got along, and he was a loyal a loyal vice president to Obama, although Obama has not endorsed him. And I personally think uh, he's being hung out to dry and he's done for. But we will see. Still, again, it is an amazing thing to watch the left. They have been doing this now for over a decade to reduce themselves to the level of Klansmen by their absolute obsession with race, which is not at all, not at all taking the human body and transforming it through the moral view. If you have a moral view, you understand that you have to love your neighbor as yourself. You understand that you have to treat people equally. You know, they, they think that they're fighting racism, but they actually are just continuing racism. I'm going to have to wind down here because we're uh, running out of time, but I, I want to go to a final reflection, which is still in the same kind of uh, vein as what I've been talking about. In the Wall Street Journal last week, they had a, uh, an op-ed by a guy named Stanley Goldfarb. He was associate dean of curriculum at the University of Pennsylvania's medical school. And he says a new wave, he's still at the medical school, he says a new wave of educational specialists is increasingly influencing medical education. 
They emphasize social justice as it relates to healthcare only tangentially. He says that they emphasize social justice that relates to healthcare only tangentially. This approach is the result of a progressive mindset that abhors hierarchy of any kind and the social elitism associated with the medical profession in particular. These educators focus on eliminating health disparities and ensuring that the next generation of physicians is well equipped to deal with cultural diversity, which are worthwhile goals. But teaching these issues is coming at the expense of rigorous training in medical science. The prospect of this new politicized medical education should worry all Americans. He says, meanwhile, oncologists cardiologists, surgeons, and other medical specialists are in short supply. The specialists who are produced must master more crucial material, even though less and less of their medical school education is devoted to basic scientific knowledge. If this country needs more gun control and climate change activists, medical schools are not the right place to produce them. Well, the left went nuts, and the medical people went nuts on Twitter, and they piled on. They distorted his argument, according to the Wall Street Journal. They said that he believed that doctors shouldn't have opinions about political issues, but that's not what he said. He said that those issues shouldn't interfere with the scientific and clinical training essential to producing doctors who can serve patients. The most disappointing response came from Penn Medical School, which... Uh, Dean Larry Jameson, J. Larry Jameson, and Senior Vice Dean Suzanne Rose sent a letter to students and faculty that said this. Please know that the views expressed by Dr. Goldfarb in this column reflect his personal opinions and do not reflect the values of the Perlman School of Medicine. We deeply value inclusion and diversity as fundamental to effective healthcare, delivery, creativity, discovery, and lifelong learning. We are committed to ensuring a rigorous and comprehensive medical education that includes examination of the many social and cultural issues that influence health from violence within communities to changes in the environment around us. So a complete fantasy, a complete cloud-based idea where you float around and you worry about what your gender is and what your pronoun is and what the weather's like and who's, you know, what corporation is destroying the weather and don't fix the cancer that the guy came in with and don't listen to the complaints that he has and don't look at the symptoms and learn everything you can. The disconnect, the disconnect between the physical and the moral, the disconnect between the physical and moral makes people insane. That is the way it is. That is way to, the way to use your animal life to its fullest is to apply moral, human morality to the animal body. And that is the idea that will give you a beautiful life and will take you home to the life beyond. All right, I got to stop there, but uh, I'll be back here tomorrow in this same studio in beautiful, glorious Midtown Manhattan. Tonight uh, is the Ben Shapiro roast. I will try to destroy everything about him, his reputation, his self-confidence, uh, possibly even his physical person, uh, and will return uh, <laughs> to California tomorrow after the show. Be here tomorrow to listen to what happened. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knoll Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Austin Stevens and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay, and our supervising producers, 
are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Assistant Director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Adam Sayovitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. And our production assistant is Nick Sheehan. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Today on The Ben Shapiro Show, the New York Times pushes out a new allegation about Brett Kavanaugh. Only one problem. It's total crap. That's today on The Ben Shapiro Show. Mm-hmm. 